Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. Why don't you pod me I feel like listening to? <laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> Very much inspired by you. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am good. Um, more importantly, how the bloody hell are you? <laughs> I, I, I'm fine. What, why would you ask that in such a, in such a way? No reason at all. Um, you certainly haven't been in, had any escapades recently. <laughs> yes. So, hello, listeners. I am speaking to you currently suffering from not one, but two broken arms. So I went to the All Points East Festival in London last week, watched the Chemical Brothers and Kraftwerk, which A, was fucking brilliant, and B, has put me right in the mood for the clash we're going to be going through this weekend in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and I, I, I had a little... Um, Snafu. I had a little accident. Yeah, a little snafu, a little boo-boo uh, <laughs> when leaving the venue and um, have fractured both of my elbows. So, yeah, get in. Um, <laughs> not too bad, though. I'm on the mend, so don't worry about me. Well, yeah, it's good It's good to hear that you're on the mend, but, um, yeah, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> it's not really what you expect um, after seeing Kraftwerk for you to, <laughs> to emerge. Two broken arms. Yeah. No. Indeed, it is not. But yes, that is me. All right. So, well, in that, uh, let's let's go on. In that case, to the clash we are doing uh, over our next couple of shows. So, uh, continuing our live season, it's my choice. The album I am going to be taking us through this week is Underworld's Everything Everything from the year two thousand. And Kevin, in two weeks' time, what are you going through? So I will be going through Orbital live at Glastonbury, essentially a retrospective mm. between 94 and 2004. Yeah, indeed, a retrospective. So would you like me to take you through the connections? Uh, yeah, go on. All right. So, well, the reason I wanted to do these two albums is because they are both rare examples of live albums by dance acts. And we know I love a bit of dance and you don't get many live albums, but you certainly didn't back in the day. And so I just wanted to, to, to go through them. Both albums include tracks whose studio versions were featured on the soundtrack to the classic cult 90s film Hackers. Fuck. <laughs> I forgot all about Hackers. Yeah, so Cowgirl uh, from this week's album and Halcy On and On from the Orbital album. Uh, there is a link from Glastonbury 1999 and therefore me. I am a link between these two <laughs> albums. So, as we'll come on to in a few minutes, there's a live DVD which accompanies everything, everything. That includes some footage from Underworld's set on the Pyramid stage at Glastonbury in 1999, a set which I witnessed and thought it was fucking incredible. And obviously, uh, if you've listened to these albums, you will know from the Orbital album that some of the tracks featured on there are from their headline set from the what was then the Jazz Stage is now the West Holt Stage at Glastonbury in 1999. Again, a set I witnessed. So, uh, yeah, one of the connections on these two albums is me. <laughs> 
It was going to get there eventually. <laughs> I'm like Kevin Bacon. <laughs> uh, yeah, so before we get into it, though, can't get you out of my head time. Any shite, Kev? I don't have any shite. Well, I tell a lie, I did have some shite, but I finally got it out of my head. So okay. I'm not going to I'm not going to pollute your mind with what what was pollutes mind. But my, uh, 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 before you get onto your good stuff, I do have some shite, if I may. Okay, I'm dying to hear this. Right. So I have recently watched the Netflix documentary Trainwreck, uh, which is about the ill-fated Woodstock '99 festival. It's absolutely phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and we could do a whole pod on that documentary. In fact, I may decide to do a bonus show on it because yeah. there's so much we could get into about it. So, firstly, go and watch Trainwreck. It's brilliant. However, this is where my shite comes from. And listen, there are rich pickings. <laughs> but the track the track that has been stuck in my head is one that I'd completely forgotten about and is only featured for a couple of seconds right early on in the first episode it's the song every morning by sugar ray oh (laughs) yeah exactly it's just fucking awful so you just speaking about that has (laughs) re-triggered my memory for my shite that i that has been in my head all week oh go on then so apologies to you tim because you will have heard this story before one summer, whilst I was at uni, I did a variety of temp jobs, one of which was at a dog biscuit factory. <laughs> I did not last um, past one shift at said dog biscuit factory because there was a bell end who was working there who kept singing OPM's Heaven is a Half Pipe. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> except he didn't even know the whole song. All he knew was... If I die before I wake, at least in heaven at I can skate. In heaven I can skate. Oh my god! That's and that's all he knew, and he kept he kept singing that over and over. And oh dear. During, like the, I was doing various tasks in this job, but one of them required me to have use of a Stanley knife, and I have to say it took all of my being to not <laughs> utilize a Stanley knife on this fella. Well, I was thinking since you were working in a dog biscuit factory, were you tempted to give him a pedigree? Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yeah, two fucking dreadful, dreadful examples Mm -hmm. of late 90s, early 2000s skater pop. Horrible. Skonk. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not going to explain what that is. Right, what do you want to give a shout out to? Uh, so I want to give a shout out to so a band from that uh, centre of musical excellence, Stoke on Trent. Well, slashes from Stoke, I suppose. Yeah, and Robbie Williams, like Lee said. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the uh, the bands I want to give a shout out to are a band called Science, uh, spelled P S Y E N C E. Mm. Me likey. They are very good. And uh, the track I've been listening to was from not their latest album, but their previous album, a track called Cold-Blooded Killer, which is an absolute fucking belter. Great. Okay. Uh, Mine is somewhat older than that. I'm going with an oldie today. And it's a song that we have spoken about before at some length, actually. Okay. Because it's from an album we have previously covered. Right. Bear with me, Kev. 
Uh, we have recently, in the last few days, celebrated, commemorated, whatever you want to say, the 25th anniversary of the release of Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An album that we went through on one of our very earliest clashes. And so, uh, the track I want to put on our playlist is the 2016 rethink of Do You Know What I Mean? Because it gives us, as I said when we went through Be Here Now, it gives us a tiny glimpse of the album that Be Here Now could have been if it hadn't been for all of the coke on all of the knoll. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sticking on. I don't care. Okay, so they've reduced the guitar tracks down by 100. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is still seven plus minutes long, so it's still too long. But it is less an assault on the ears and more of uh, something that one can actually sit and appreciate. So I'm glad I'm glad that you have brought up the anniversary of Be Here Now because I have seen a lot of people with revised views on the internet saying it's not that bad. It's people saying it's their favourite Oasis album. People saying that it's better than what? Definitely Maybe. <laughs> and I'm what? like, have you listened to it recently? Like actually sat down and gone through the whole thing. Like we did. <laughs> now, well, exactly. Now, Kevin, so I was going to say, you are our social media director. Did you go through all of those tweets, post the link to our review of Be Here Now, and go, just have a listen to this if that's what you think? <laughs> I mean, I have. I, I did respond to a couple <laughs> to a couple of them, like, with, with just a question mark. Like, really? <laughs> sure? Oh. Sure about that. Uh, I mean, please go and listen to our, our review of Be Here Now. It is one of our more popular episodes, actually. Um, I stand by what I said at the time. There's a good album in there somewhere, but Christ, it ain't the one that made it to release. And yeah, you'll hear me getting increasingly angry about length of song. Something that may well be a theme <laughs> in this class. <laughs> oh, okay, on, on that note, should we uh, should we get on to talking through our class? I think we should. Well, actually, no, we shouldn't, Kevin, because I have a new feature. Ooh, new feature. Uh, so... Well, so we usually do top trumps at this point, and we're not getting rid of top trumps altogether, but basically for these two albums, there's no information that's worth talking about. Wikipedia is Yeah, has failed us. Exactly. So we're not doing top trumps this week. In its stead, I would like to introduce a new feature, which I am going to call Keep or Throw. So, Kevin, you, of course, are very familiar with the classic Edgar Wright Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film, Shaun of the Dead. Indeed. And there is a scene in there where they are being assailed by zombies in their garden. They get out Simon Pegg's record box and start lobbing discs. And they have a conversation about what should be kept and what should be thrown. Keep, throw. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's good. Good. Right, so it's a quick-fire game. Okay. I am going to name, off the top of my head, actually, because I've not put any thought into this whatsoever, I'm going to name three albums, all right? Okay. You have to decide, after each album, whether you would keep it or whether you would throw it. Okay. The rules are, you have to answer after each album. You can't wait until I've answered, until I've named all three. You have to keep at least one of the three albums, and you have to throw at least one of the three okay. albums. Right. Okay. So, my first album, Kev, is the Beatles' White Album. Keep. My second album is Let's Up In Four. Keep. 
My third album is Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to throw it. Man, I would have got rid of Led Zeppelin 4. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if I'm trying to kill zombies, then the White Album's a double album, so like, I've got two weapons there. <laughs> that's, that's true, actually. You should have got rid of the White Album. Ah. <laughs> uh, but you didn't. No. You had to get rid of Let It Bleed. That's why this is now such a fun game. <laughs> so you can exact your revenge next time we do this, where you get to ask the same to me. Okay, good stuff. Brilliant. All right. Shall we get into it then? Shall I start taking us through Underworld? Yep, let's do it. Okay, everything, everything. The 2000 uh, released live album by Underworld. It was released on the 4th of September 2000. Ironically, uh, back to our last show, exactly 30 years after The Who's Live at Leeds was released. Oh, interesting. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was released on Junior Boy's own records. I mean, let's not scratch that itch. <laughs> I was being polite. <laughs> and as we know that politeness is the cornerstone of this pod <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it was produced by uh, Rick Smith from Underworld uh, the performance was actually recorded at two festivals the Foreign National uh, Festival in Brussels on the 22nd of May 1999 and the Pink Pop Festival in the Netherlands, I apologise to all our Dutch listeners, we do have some, on the 24th of May 1999. So I am pleased that at least one of those festivals had a, an enjoyable name. Yes, well I would say Foray National is an enjoyable name, yeah. it's not necessarily what... <laughs> it's not that exciting, it's not, it's not Pink Pop Festival. No indeed, it's a very Belgian well, name isn't well, it? Well it's not Rock Am, Rock Am Ring, you know. No indeed, it's not Rock Am Ring. <laughs> so, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, the album uh, had an accompanying live DVD that featured the same songs on the CD, plus a few more uh, additional tracks as well. All right, bit of background then. So off the back of Born Slippy, which we've spoken about before, they obviously Underworld had hit the big time massively. Their third studio album, Boku Fish, was released in March of 1999. That got to number three in the UK, and it reached the Hot 100 in the US. To promote it, they embarked on a European tour. That included several festival appearances, including, as I've already mentioned, Glastonbury, and the two that uh, comprise this live album. They'd actually wanted to do a live album for, for quite a while, so an early appearance at the Reading Festival had been recorded by the BBC, and apparently it sounded really good, and that sort of gave them the idea that at some point they did want to put out their own live album. So uh, in an interview with Sound on Sound in December of 2000, Rick Smith, and there's got, I've got quite a few quotes from that interview, uh, he explained where the idea for the live album and the live DVD came from. So he said, Rob Buckler, who was the manager at Strong Room Studios, had given me some free time to try out their studio too, which they'd rebuilt specifically for 5.1 surround sound. A little later in May 99, I was stuck in a traffic jam on the M25, and suddenly the thought came to me what a great medium for live recording DVD would be. 90s. <laughs> the quality of the visuals in DVD was really appealing, as was the possibility to mix in 5.1. I mean, just wait till you get 4K, mate. Fucking blow your mind. <laughs> Our live concerts are nothing like our albums. The audience is a crucial part of the way we jam. In the past, I'd always rejected recording live albums because every concert is so different, but now I thought we'd better do this because we might not play like this again. 
uh, remember that quote for later on. So as Rick Smith alluded to there, they wanted to recreate the feel of their gigs and, and, and the way in which the audience does play a, a, an integral part, if you like. So again, Rick Smith says, the way we work is based on an idea that I've developed over eight years. It began with us wanting to manipulate electronics in a way that they don't want to be manipulated. Electronics want to be like this or that, and you have to work hard for it to become an instrument that's playable and doesn't force you in a certain direction. Electronics are incredibly stubborn, and I wanted them to be predictable and unpredictable at the same time. Again, it's a matter of balance. I wanted to be able to flow from one song to another at any point, the way a DJ can do when he's got two record decks. And I wanted to be able to deconstruct the songs to the point where they aren't even a certain song anymore. What we ended up with was a combination of sequences, drum machines and CD players, the latter for flying in spoken word. It's like using a palette of colours and selecting and mixing them. Carl Hyde, in that same interview, he said the lighting director was also improvising as well as the band. So you get the feeling of being in the middle of a huge jam. So as I mentioned earlier, the DVD includes footage of gigs throughout the tour, uh, including the Glastonbury performance. Uh, although the audio is from the same performances that the CD includes. So basically... That was because the footage of the Pink Pop gig in particular hadn't turned out as hoped. So Rick Smith explains, in late August, after finishing touring, we started to piece together the DVD. However, we immediately ran into loads of technical problems to do with transferring the 72 channels of digital audio into a 24-bit, 64-channel Pro Tools system. Also, when the first vigil roughs were put together, it was very much like, well, the gigs aren't like that. They're not just a load of people going bananas down the front. There was a certain sense of scale and atmosphere that we wanted to convey, and it just didn't translate. It was dreadful. Carl Hyde said a good editor could lock up to the music for periods of time. We also decided to put some of that tomato artwork in the bits that were in sync with the music. I'll explain what that means in a second. And what began to involve was an impression of our live concerts rather than a documentary of one gig. It was one of those happy disasters that we thrive on, because this was a better idea than the original. Some images from Pink Pop remain, but you also see other places like Fuji Rock in Japan and Glastonbury, so you can see how the group developed. And to conclude, Rick Smith said it went away from a more documentary style to us attempting to communicate a live experience. Uh, the very last thing I want to say on background uh, takes us back to another album that we have previously covered. One of the key influences in how they put the project together was Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense album and film. Carl Hyde has described that as a real landmark for him. Well, yeah, and you know, as when we went through uh, "Stop Making Sense," we talked about how influential it was and ha has continued to be in terms of the development of live films and live albums as well. Indeed. All right, that's all I've got on background, though. Uh, I just talked for a long time. Kev was very, very patient. Um, have you anything to add? No, I have nothing to add at all. Okay, in that case, Kevin, please tell us how you first came across Everything, Everything. So it's going to be the same for both um, for both albums. First time listening. Okay. So I have seen Underworld before. I've heard I've heard their stuff and various various albums and that. But uh, this this was the first time I actually have heard this album. All right, fair enough. Uh, not so for me. So. As I said, I saw them at Glastonbury, so that was on this tour, and the set list there was, was pretty much what you hear on this record. Uh, I thought it was fucking great. 
and as is becoming quite a common theme on how we describe this section <laughs> of the show, I acquired a digital copy of this album in the early 2000s and have loved it ever since. Perfectly legally. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> what, why would you suggest otherwise? <laughs> uh, all right, should we spend a couple of seconds talking about the art? I mean, we can do. There's, there's, there's not really a huge amount to it, to be fair. There's not. There's not. There's, so it, the artwork was produced by the Tomato Art Collective, who I referred to in one of those quotes earlier. So that's an art collective. They also produced the visuals for the live shows and for the DVD, as that quote alluded to. Both Rick Smith and Carl Hyde were contributors to the the, the Tomato Collective as well. So they collaborated a lot with, with Underworld. But yeah, the cover itself, it, it's, it's basically just a, a patchwork of green and blue squares of various shades. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing I've said is the font uh, is the Oasis font. Yeah, it's a perfectly fine font. This is not, this is not going to make your classic album covers at no. any, any point. No, it is not. A very minimalist early 2000s piece of art, I think. Yeah, it's it's very redolent of the time and the genre in which it's been recorded. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I am ready to start getting into the tracks. Are you? Yes, let's get to it. Okay, so we start with One Eater slash Kiteless. So this is two-thirds of the opening track to the 1996 album, Second Toughest in the Infants. Uh, two Things, that was their second album, and uh, what a brilliant title for an album. That's a great title. Because, like, not even saying, like, toughest in, like, second toughest in the infants. Yeah, it's great. Like, like not even in junior school as well, in in the infants. Yep, it's brilliant. So, the third part of that track, To Dream of Love, is not played here. So, on the studio album, the whole thing extends to over 16 minutes long. So, I guess you're quite pleased that it's only two-thirds we hear here. (laughs) Actually, what I will say is that I... There is no doubt during both of these that I'm going to have issue with some song length. That's go that's going to like not pulling back the curtain too much. But in terms of this one, I like the fact that it you've got a slow, a nice slow build in. It builds that excitement. And when the beat drops, it's it's great. I can definitely imagine like absolutely having it to, to this. You get so I I put down the vocals gave me really strong craft work vibes. Yeah. Um and then you have the midpoint around sort of six minutes in. And then it starts sounding like New Order, which, again, I've no problem with that oh, at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, no. I, so so, so it, I'll go back to what you said about the start. It's quite interesting what you said about the slow build, because I've actually said that, that the lone synth part that starts off, is, it, to me, it grabs me straight away. It's, it is quite arresting. And yeah, okay. Then you got the, the the beat starting to build in the the the, lyric, the vocals come in. So I, I get what you're saying with that. Yeah, the the, the vocals very craft work, but it's also that classic Carl Hyde stream mm-hmm. of consciousness. And I'm I'm going to be using that phrase a few times through this show. Uh, I really like the way he just it lyrically flows through yeah. tracks. And yeah, then the way it blends into that much more ethereal sound about five and a half minutes, six minutes in. You got that arpeggiated piano, you got the swirling string sounds. And and, and yeah, a very new order, very simple guitar riff, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are off to a very, very solid start. Yeah, I'm, I made the note, it maybe, maybe could, like, it's a lie. It's, so I will give allowances to this live. You could maybe lose 
a little bit towards the end, but it's fine. I'm I'm all right. Okay. The only thing I don't agree with that. However, there's a bit right at the end, which basically sounds like the sample of a two-stroke engine slowing down. <laughs> yes. Ding 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 ding. Which <laughs> don't quite get why that's in there. <laughs> why is it always your impression of of a motorbike? Like always sounds like the crazy frog thing. <laughs> Hive mind, is this the precursor to Crazy Frog? <laughs> wow. But you know what I mean? I, th- I think that bit's yeah. a tad unnecessary. But I'll give it a pass because I'm having a lovely time. Apparently Juanita refers to Juanita Boxhill, who was a member of the Tomato Art Collective. Okay. Right, shall we go on though? Yes, let's do it. Okay, track two is Cups. And don't be telling me you've got a problem with the length of this track, Kev. It's only fucking three and a half minutes. No, I'm fine. (laughs) All right, so this is the opening track of Boku Fish. Well, no, it's an excerpt of the opening track of Boku Fish because the opening track of Boku Fish extends to 12 minutes long. Uh, This is uh, just over a quarter of that length. What do you think? It... So it's there's nothing bad going on here, but it feels a bit filler. Like everything's perfectly competently done, but it didn't really grab me. Although the crowd are sound as though they're having a lovely time. Yep. Which I'm sure has no chemical inducement at all. <laughs> and it blends it, it's a good sort of placeholder between the first song and the next song to come. But if I'm looking at it as a as a piece of music on its own. Didn't really do very much for me. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think you're spot on. Um, I think I like it a bit more than you, but it does serve as a bridge. I think there's a nice transition from the previous track and there's a really good transition into the next track and that's the purpose it serves. The beat is much bigger than it is on the first track. Mm-hmm. As you said, the crowd is having a, a great time. But yeah, I, I, I be happy with a bit more of this to be honest with you um it's fine but it is merely a bridge between two other songs which wouldn't otherwise naturally fit together yeah now in fairness so i referred to the chemical brothers earlier now i you've seen them several times i've Mm -hmm. seen them several times they are a band who will regularly put snippets of songs in to bridge between two other tracks and when you're there and when you're in the show it never feels jarring it never feels out of place it always feels natural so we have to take as you mentioned that into consideration around this is a document of a performance mm-hmm. not a, a a curated album if that makes sense yeah uh, even when we get to our next clash uh, and i will have comments on that the, I do understand that listening to it and is very different from the live experience. And I'm pretty sure that I would probably be having a lovely time during Cups because you're right in it and you're dancing and everything like that. Being sat on your sat on your sofa or sat in a sat in a room listening to it is a very different experience that mm-hmm. unfortunately doesn't you can't replicate it all going off around you. Fair point. Okay, shall we move on to Push Upstairs? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so this is track two on Boku Fish. It was also released as a single in March of 99. It got to number 12 in the UK and number 38 on the US dance floor chart. So as I just said, I think this is a great transition from Cups. I have always liked Push Upstairs, and I think this is a really 
furious version. You know, everyone's going at it full beans, aren't they? Yeah, it's got a really good energy to it, and I really like how it develops. Um, mm-hmm. It took a little while to get going. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe I was expecting it to kick in, like, a bit quicker. But mm. uh, when it does, it yeah, it's great. I, I do really enjoy it. So, uh, again, you can hear the crowd going off. Uh, so, I'm going to say this quite a bit on the two albums, actually. And you've mentioned when we've done live albums in the past, one of the things that that draws you in on, on a good live album is one that can bring you into the experience and make you feel like you're there. And you just said on Cups that you didn't feel that. And I understand why. On this, I am starting to feel like I am there. And perhaps it's because I saw, well, not this exact set, but I saw mm-hmm. them at this time and I can recall that. But I can hear the energy levels. I can hear them almost bursting through the speaker, actually. I think you get a real sense of how they conduct the performance within the song when things get taken down and things that get built back up and elements come in and elements come out. You've got a nice bit of James Bond synth going on there in the middle of the track, which is all kinds <laughs> of good. Uh, so yeah, once you get to the end of this, you're only three tracks in, but you're approaching 25 minutes. And to me, it's been pretty relentless thus far. Yeah, I will very hold that thought because I, I do have <laughs> not soon. I will I will come back to that. All right, okay. So at the end of Push Upstairs, for the first time, things get brought to a halt to allow the audience to, to breathe, catch breath, exactly. to get some medical yeah. attention, <laughs> to drink some water and stop <laughs> chewing their faces. <laughs> uh, but then we go into Pearl's Girl. So, Pearl's Girl is another one for Second Toughest in the Influence. It, it was a single released in May 96, got to number 22 in the UK. So, apparently, in terms of how Carl High wrote the lyrics to it, he says, I spent a few nights in Hamburg, and it actually came from a night on the Rioja down by the docks. I'm actually shouting, Rioja, Rioja. I'd come from this really great club on the Reaper Barn, listening to lots of classic soul, which is where the Reverend Al Green reference comes from. I was sitting by the docks, and they had these bride boats there, which people get married on. They go down the river and out to sea. I was just sitting there, Rioja'd out. Watching the, I'm sure it was just Rioja Carl. <laughs> Watching these boats sail past me at three in the morning. There were bonfires and everything. Fair enough. Um, isn't down by the docks um, the Reaper Barn? Yeah, you mentioned he says the Reaper Barn, yeah. Yeah, which I'm led to believe from my Beatles history is the Red Light District. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Okay, just I'm just making sure that we, that we understand where Carl's drinking his Rioja. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> what do you think? So I've always loved Pearl's Girl. I've all like musically, it's it's always got a proper sinister undertow to it, and his sort of I think stream of consciousness is an excellent way of describing it. It's kind of stream of consciousness consciousness rapping kind of thing, but it's not a rap style. It's weird to his vocals, mm-hmm. but this is a really good version of it. And I like, I'm having a lovely time. I think this takes too long to get going. I, I was okay with, with it taking its time. So uh, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'd like it a lot. All right. I really do. And I agree with you. I've always loved the track and i think this is a really good version of it but all you get for two minutes is the drum beat and they're crazy 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 and you don't need it to be that long i think you can you can build in the other elements of the song sooner than that when they do that it's really atmospheric and it it comes to a 
real crescendo. It's like it, towards the end, it feels like they are turning up the bass, turning up the beat, and bringing everyone to breaking point almost with the way they they end the song. So I, I think eventually it becomes really, really good. And again, I'm I'm there. I am uh, picturing what it's like to be in the performance. I think the start is a little bit too dragged out. Not massively, but a bit. No, I can I can see that. I didn't on my listens to it. I didn't feel as though it it dragged. Okay, but you know maybe it's because I'm a bit more fonder of the of this yeah. song than others. Perhaps. Um, the last thing I've said is uh, to me, it's got a massive left field fat planet vibe. To yeah, it. the breakbeat, the bass, the dark brooding sinks, and uh, yeah, that's absolutely fine by me. Yeah, it's it it's great. Yeah, as I say. Lovely time had by all. Great stuff. We are flying through these tracks, Kev. Uh, we are halfway through in terms of tracks. Won't be like that next week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kev, we did 28 tracks of a Queen album, okay? We ain't got 28 tracks to go through next week. <laughs> it just felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it, Kev. We're not okay, there yet. I've got to hold back. Yet. I've got to hold yeah, back. Indeed. Uh, in, instead, let's take a look at my jumbo. <laughs> is, it, is it a jumbo sausage? <laughs> so, jumbo is the next track. Another one from Boku Fish. Uh, it was also a single uh, released in May of 99. Uh, got to 21 in the UK. Number 18 on the US Dance Club Songs chart. So, so this is quite a change of pace almost from Pearl's Girl. And the one thing I didn't say when we were going through Pearl's Girl a minute ago is the way it ends, I think, is really clever because they don't have any crowd noise when Pearl's Girl finishes. Mm -hmm. It just hangs there. And I think it's brilliant because you then go into this, which is much more mellow, much more soothing and quite dreamy, actually, with that that synth riff that comes in throughout. Yeah, so it, it it doesn't mess about. Like you get a quite a nice intro and it does get on with it. And it is it is a kind of ambient sound that's going on. Yeah. I think it's how do I think that so it's perfectly nice. It doesn't massively develop for me, but I, I'm not having a I'm not having a horrible time during it. It's just it's just nice. It's a nice kind of palate cleanser, nice thing. Just calm calm yourself down. Because because where we're go where we're going is very much up. All right, so I it, it is a palate cleanser. It is a change of pace. I I think that the bass line is a really nice groove that sort of earworms its way into your head. Uh, it's interesting you say you, you don't think it changes and goes anywhere much because I think there's some really atmospheric sweeping chords that come in about about four minutes in. So you what about halfway? I, I think they're lush. I think they're glorious. To, to me, this is your perfect sunset on a warm day at a festival tune. Okay, yeah, I can see, I can see that. And, yeah, I, I really like this. I've always liked Jumbo, and I think this is a really good version of it because it makes me feel nice and uh, soothed and ready to... My energy levels have been replenished, and I'm ready to take on, as you said, what we're about to go into. Yeah, very much so. All right, well, shall we... In that case, move on to what we're about to go on to. <laughs> yes. King of Snake, King of Snakes. So, it's another one from Boku Fish. A mm-hmm. single in August 99 reached number 17 in the UK. 
It's got rather a familiar baseline, hasn't it, Kev? I think I might have heard it somewhere before. So yeah, if you're familiar with King of Snake, it is the baseline from I Feel Love by Donna Summer and Georgia Moroda. So much so that they actually get a songwriting credit on the track. I should fucking dwell things. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, to be fair, what the fuck's Donna Summer done to get a songwriting credit? Well, yeah. Smarodas a... riff. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this. Uh, yeah, all right. They, so, yeah, they've Nick Moroda's bass line, but they've fucking supercharged it. They've stuck it on steroids. Because it just fucking throbs and pulses its way out of the speakers and right through your chest. I fucking love this tune i am not in any disagreement with you good can you get a contact high from a piece of music (laughs) i feel like i should be chewing my face off at this point the synths are so filthy my soul has been dirtied by it (laughs) yeah i just uh, again i I, I think this is it's just a similar way to describe what you've just said i feel like i'm part of the experience yes I want to get up and pogo around like a fucking lunatic because, again, it's played at a million miles an hour. It's huge. The crowd is having a great time. They're absolutely riffing off the band. Vice versa as well. The band's having a great time because of the way the crowd's performing. When they take it all out and you've just got Carl Hyde's lyrics keeping the rhythm, everyone's loving it. Then they bring it back in again. Colossal. Absolutely colossal. This is exactly what I want from a live dance album, is exactly that experience. And yeah, they bring it, and they bring it, they bring the fucking fire. They do indeed bring the fire. Last thing to say about King of Snake, uh, other than being the song which gave me my uh, internet handle, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, there is a Fatboy Slim remix of King of Snake, which is absolute filth. It's muckier than a back Soho <laughs> strip joint. Yes. <laughs> muckier than a uh, Rioja selling wine bar on the Reaper Palm, one might say. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yes, wine bar. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a massage parlour upstairs. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> All right, should we move on? Only two yeah. tracks to go. Yeah, let's do it. Two tracks, but nearly 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, next is a track we've talked about before. It's Born Slippy Nooks. So we did the train spotting soundtrack a few months back, and clearly Born Slippy is on the train spotting soundtrack. So I'm not going to go into the background and detail mm-hmm. of the song because we talked about it then. All I will say is it's a really, really good rendition of it. As soon as that beat kicks in right at the start, the crowd knows exactly what's coming. Yeah. But they still explode in ecstasy. I mean, that might be a literal term as well. (laughs) (laughs) When the main riff kicks in, it's just... Well, I can't really say much else than it takes me right back to the 90s. It takes me right back to being one of 70,000 people dancing around like a madman in front of the pyramid stage to it because that's where I am when I hear this. 
I mean, what, what's that? again, I'm going to, uh, funnily enough, read from my notes. How Carl Hyde, again, that stream of consciousness. Like, have you ever tried to sing all of along with it? It's fucking knackering. <laughs> like, honestly, like, you're out of breath. And that was like when I was a teenager in my early 20s now. Yeah. Like, I can barely get halfway fucking through it. Yeah, like, I, can, I, can, with I, it. I can maybe say lager, lager, lager a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can get my breath back to do the lager. <laughs> going back to Romford and then I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> no one should ever go back to Romford. Well, apart from Ray Parler. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. He's from there, so. Football's answer to Arthur Daly. <laughs> I don't even know why that makes sense, but it's still funny. No, no it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I also love... Right at the end, when everything's gone, you've just got those vocal synths fading out and leaving you with the last sort of vestiges of of that track, uh, like the heat death of the universe. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not... Not, not the heat death of the universe. <laughs> no. But, you know. Uh, goosebumps. Goosebumps for me, this. Yeah, it's it's great. The, yeah, there's not... I haven't got anything more lyrical or interesting to say apart from his fucking great sound all right well shall we go on to the last track then yes okay res cowgirl so res was a non-album single released in 1993 cowgirl is taken from the first album dub no bass with my head man legitimately one of the greatest debut albums i've ever heard if you've not listened to it go and do so it's brilliant uh, that was released in 94. This medley of the two was a perennial Underworld set closer and still is because these two tracks blend together so well because they share some of the same loops and some of the same sounds. Uh, and the title of the album is obviously taken from the lyrics in Cowgirl. Uh, and as I said, it's in the soundtrack to Hackers, uh, which is always good. Because, you know, Hackers is objectively a bad film, uh, yes. but it's also a great film. No, I mean, it, it is bad, but it's entertaining badness. Yes, it is entertaining badness. Although, mostly because of the soundtrack, to be honest. Yeah. Right, okay. Before I wax lyrical about it, what do you think of Res Cowgirl? I mean, it's an absolutely belting way to finish the set. It opens brilliantly. It's an absolute, absolute tune. I also, being me, couldn't help but mishearing one of the lyrics and asked, why is he obsessed with a raisin of love? (laughs) Maybe that's what he calls his scrotum. (laughs) We know what our Twitter clip is. (laughs) We do, indeed. Kev was laughing so much there that his mic cut out. <laughs> so the Twitter clip's actually going to have silence on it, but it's still going out. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> funny enough, to be fair, I thought it was an eraser of love rather than and a razor of love. Although that sounds dreadfully painful and violent. Yes, um, you're definitely going to need some Savlon. Um... <laughs> Well, I would suggest that some butterfly stitches will be being applied. You don't want to stick TCP on that, though. Ooh. It's going to sting like a motherfucker. Ouch. What, like, what was it with mums in the 80s when you've, you've fallen over and grazed your knee playing, well, footy on concrete, 
and they're like, oh, let's get some TCP on that. No, no, just put a plaster on it. It'll be fine. Or, or just leave it. It'll be sound. Don't, <laughs> just no. don't come at me with the TCP because <laughs> basically you're just pouring liquid fire onto my knee. <laughs> exactly. How dare you? <laughs> it's uh, that was like the 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 English middle class version of Munchausen by proxy, wasn't it? Using TCP <laughs> on Grace's knees. <laughs> well, it's, it was just the universal solution for for everything. Like lash some TCP on it, or. Or Savlon, and that will sort it. Do you know what's more disgusting as well? Like, they'd, they'd say, oh, well, I need to put some TCP to disinfect you, and you might have some grit in it. But that, they wouldn't think twice about if you've got something on your face, licking a handkerchief <laughs> and rubbing it off. Fuck off, that is absolutely vile. So so what we can what we can now establish is there is a clear difference to the... Um, to the class bringing up between me and Tim. <laughs> because your mum went with a handkerchief. My mum didn't go with a handkerchief. It was, it was a bit what, of... What, she just lick your face? No, it was a bit of lick on a thumb. And <laughs> a... <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's going on Twitter as well. <laughs> Disgusting. Can we move on, please? Yes. Uh, right, so let me talk about I mean, I, I don't have anything constructive to say about Red Cowgirl. It's Filth. it's fucking glorious. It's absolute euphoria. I, it, I adore it. They're, they're two brilliant tracks anyway, and they fit together so well. It, as you said, it's a great set closer. It's one of the best ways I've ever seen to end a set. It's like when the chemicals do private psychedelic reel. Oh, you know yeah. what you're going to get and it's going to be glorious. It's the same with this. It never fails to set the hairs on the back of my neck on end. Just doing it now, just talking about it. <laughs> I fucking love it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I've, I've always loved that. Love that. Song. And yeah, it's so well done and a brilliant way to end the album. A brilliant way to end the album. So, yeah, uh, we are done uh, in a flash. Flown through. Mm, indeed. Um, should I take us through some reviews? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, so Toby Manning, uh, in the five-star review that Mojo gave them the album, said, The presence of the crowd seems to have added some vital new element to the band. Buffing the sounds, revving the rhythms, and putting a shot of caffeine in Carl Hyde's vodka. Man and Machines never sounded more at one. I agree with that entirely. Mm -hmm. uh, Select, they gave it four out of five, but damned it with faint praise, saying, like most live LPs, this is ultimately an artifact for fans rather than newcomers, but it's quite some artifact. And then uh, a bit more at length. Uh, John Bush, for all music in a retrospective, he wrote, Underworld didn't become one of the biggest groups in dance world by sitting in the studio all day, spending as much time making tea as producing tracks. Between records, the trio toured incessantly, playing rock venues, dance floors, major festivals all over the world, and consistently made the single best case for techno working in a live as opposed to club context. I mean, I think the Chemicals would have something to say about mm -hmm. that, but I agree with the sentiment in general. I would say Fatboy Slim probably uh, uh, is holding his hand up and going, Hello. I, I went to yes. um, Woodstock 99, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I've done me dues. Yeah, very much so. Uh, but I, I understand his point and, and, mm -hmm. and, and generally agree with it. Uh, 
In mid-2000, Underworld released the live album Everything Everything. And just like their studio LPs, this one works so well, not just because the tracks are so excellently produced, but because Underworld is so good at placing sympathetic tracks next to each other and creating effortless sounding transitions. Granted, they don't blend each transition, and Carl Hyde's vocals aren't always as perfect on the LP. I'm not sure I agree with that point. Still, excellent track selection, evenly distributed from all their three albums to that point, and a winning performance let the band get nearly everything right on their first live album. Mm. So, I do have something from Lord Nobbington. Oh, really? He hasn't reviewed this album, but I do have his review of Second Toughest in the Infants, uh, if you'd like to hear it. I mean with due uh, pre-prepared annoyance. I mean, we gave him a pass when he did Live at Leeds because uh, he actually reviewed the album. Uh, he's back on form. Of with course this. he is. <clears throat> All right, strapping Kev. <clears throat> Whilst we have been quite brief thus far in the show, we might be running to our normal length based just on this review. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Americans enticed by talk of rock dance fusion should bear in mind the cultural deprivation of our siblings across the sea. Befuddled by the useless rock-pop distinction, they believe rock is something that happened in the 70s. The more inquisitive among them are aware of Pearl Jam and Nirvana, but if they've ever heard of Los Lobos or Husker Du, they probably think they're pop. So check out these comparisons from admirers of this inflated trio, spawned by the famously bad new romantic band Freuer, and an art collective others might call an advertising agency. Pre-stadium simple minds, way beyond the length of a Frank Zappa guitar solo, JJ Kale on an ecstasy come down, a warm bath, plus their proper predecessors Pink Floyd, with bigger bass sounds and better drum patterns. Here and there, eight minutes into Kiteless, for instance, they do work up a dangerously off-kilter groove, but the lyrics of animals were more than insane ramblings, or the colours of cars going past a friend's house. <clears throat> and I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> Good. Um, because what? <laughs> it seems that Robert Criscoll doesn't Floyd? like English people. Yeah, and, and apparently Underworld's predecessors are Pink Floyd. <laughs> I mean, apart from potentially... Linking song length? What? (laughs) (laughs) To quote Mark Hamill uh, from the film The Last Jedi, amazing. Every single word of what you just said was wrong. (laughs) Fucking hell, Nobby. (laughs) And he's back. (laughs) With a vengeance. That's all I've got on reviews, though. Should we do some legacy? Uh, Yeah, sure. All right, there's not much on legacy. I mean, I could... Going to loads about what Underworld have done since. Uh, there's a couple of things worth talking about. So, um, after the release and promotion of Everything Everything, Darren Emerson decided to leave to focus on solo projects. Thus proving that Rick Smith's statement of uh, them not playing like this again being quite prescient, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hyden Smith decides to continue as a duo, which they remain to this day. Uh, their 2017 album, Barbara, Barbara, We Face a Shining Future. Another great album it, title. And it's a really good album. I really like it. It is. It is a really good album. Uh, that won them a Grammy uh, for Best Electronic Album, actually. They have continued their relationship with Danny Boyle and have collaborated with him many times. So, they work with John Murphy to compose a soundtrack for 2007's Sunshine, which is a massively underrated film, in my opinion. I really, I really like, like it. it. Yeah, yeah. 
Carl Hyde composed the soundtrack to 2013's Trance. And obviously, Underworld themselves composed the soundtrack to Train Spotting 2 in 2017. I, I don't know if you're going to go on to this, but um, Underworld were also the uh, musical directors for Danny Boyle's opening ceremony to the 2012 Olympics. That was the very last thing I was going to say. Yes, quite right, Kevin. They curated the album Isles of Wonder. And it was a great album, actually. It was a great soundtrack mm-hmm. to that opening ceremony. Some absolute bangers on there. Uh, Underworld contributed 11 of the 36 tracks, including two new tracks, I Will Kiss and Caliban's Dream. So lots of work with Danny Boyle. Yeah, and uh, Britain continued from strength to strength after uh, that. (laughs) Olympic legacy. (laughs) (laughs) And then in in 2018, they did a four-track EP with uh, Iggy Pop, which was good. Nice. Yep. Uh, That's all I have on legacy, however. Okay. So I guess all that's left for us to do, Kev, what's your best song? What's your worst song? Okay. It's... So it the album ends so well. So it it is it is quite difficult to find the best song. I think I would say the worst song is probably Cups because it's it's essentially filler. And if I'm at the if I'm at the gig, like I'm all right with it. But as a listener who is not chemically induced at the time, it didn't have the same impact. Uh, best song, oh. I'm gonna go with Cowgirl, but it could quite easily be King of Snakes or Born Slippy. All right, we are in complete agreement for the second show in a row. Uh, yeah, to me, there isn't a bad track on here. I'm more fond of Cups than you are, but I agree with what you said. It's effectively a bridge between two longer and better tracks, so that I'm gonna pick as my weakest. And yeah, what else could it be other than Res Cowgirl as the best track? It's Magnificent. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Including his raisin of love. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> uh, I think we're done, Kev. I think we are. We have record time. I know we have flown through it with very little um, uh, forays into 80s TV or um, various nonsense. Or nonsense. <laughs> Indeed. Where's the book? Where's the book? <laughs> so uh, we're recording this before the live at leeds episode goes out but obviously it'll be released after and uh, you know i always put my three bullet points yeah also this week the third is where's the book pete (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i reckon i might get this show down to less than an hour by the time i've edited it down you know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon of that, our next one being a similar length? Well, I've, I'm going to have a lot to say. <laughs> uh, anyway, Twitter stuff, go on. Okay, so I can exclusively reveal that following the leads of TikTok, Twitter, um, Instagram, the Album Clash is also going to deplatform. Uh, Andrew Tate, <laughs> a man who is essentially pitbull if you bought it off Wish, and a hateful misogynist. Yes, you're not allowed on our podcast either. You fucking prick. <laughs> yeah, fine, agreed. Move on. <laughs> so, uh, 
what is he missing out on uh, by not being able to follow us on Instagram or Twitter? So he he will miss out on our amazing Twitter content um, at Clash Album, our carefully curated content at Insta, which is Clash Album. Or he he can't. I'm, do you know what? I'll block an email from him, and even though you can send one, he can't because he's a prick. Um, to albumclash at gmail dot com. Yeah, he is not able to sign me up to anything on the dark web, but you lovely people are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also led to believe the pop world in Liverpool has also banned him. Is right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I, I um think it's about time we got out of here well as i always say do follow us on the socials do get involved tell us what you want us to do on album clash tell us what you think of the show like subscribe leave your ratings leave your reviews all of that jazz kev just remind people what you are taking people through on our next episode i will be taking us through orbital live at glass read 94 to 2004 Boom. I am looking forward to that very much. I'm not sure Kev is with quite... <laughs> oh no, I have things to say. <laughs> uh, you guys will have to wait a couple of weeks to hear those things, however. Until then, I once was a man named Tim. And I still remain Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, bye-bye. So, uh, bye. <laughs>